Amen. Praise God for that. Esther chapter 8. I'm so thankful for God's word. Uh, I'm glad that it is still true. Uh, it's still relevant. It's still here. I'm glad for that too. You know, there's many places where you can't have it. Uh, I'm glad we're, we're able to get it. But Esther, Esther, I'm sorry, Esther chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 3. Got two different sections for us to read. Uh, this is one of those ones I'd like to read the whole chapter, but it's, it's too long for one uh, one time, but uh, uh, Esther 3, verse 8, And Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, and Esther rose and stood before the king, and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seemeth right before the king, and I be pleasing in in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Haman Datha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are uh, in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come upon my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? We're going to skip down to verse 11. Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand uh, for their life, to destroy, to, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and the province that would assault them, both the little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Upon one day in all the provinces is King Ahasuerus, uh, namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Dar, uh, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, and that the Jews should be ready against the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to dig into it. Lord, that you'd uh, uh, not only help it to come alive, but uh, Lord, help us to understand. Lord, let it be plain, uh, but Lord, let us apply it to our lives. Let us not walk away uh, the same way that we walked in. Lord, that we can draw closer to you if any are lost uh, under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that they would come to know you before it's too late. We love you. We thank you for all things. And Jesus, in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. amen. Book of Esther is one big story. Uh, the good and the bad about it is if I start all the way in chapter 8, and we haven't been doing all the ones before it, I have to tell you pretty quickly at the beginning, what, uh, how did we get here? What happened? What was going on? Uh, not everyone's familiar with it, and some of us it's been a little while. Uh, so the book of Esther, uh, like I said, it's a big story. Chapter 1, this king Ahasuerus has an enormous kingdom. It spans from Africa to India, uh, and he decides, I'm going to make this grand feast uh, for his provinces. That feast lasts 180 days. And then he has a seven day, even bigger feast where his palace is there in Shushan. Uh, so as they are uh, partying and doing everything else and, and, and the king is drinking a lot, he calls for his queen Vashti on the seventh day. He was drunk. Uh, he wants her to now, uh, people uh, will argue what he really wanted her to do, but I don't think it was a good thing. Uh, and queen Vashti says she refused. So he gets very angry that she's not uh, doing what he says. He consults with his advisors and decides he's done with her. So she's gone. Uh, chapter 2 in the book of Esther, five years later, they start a beauty contest. They're going to find uh, the fairest woman in all the kingdom uh, to replace Vashti as the queen. Uh, Esther goes to the palace 
Uh, she's one of the different women that are in the, the contest. Uh, and then when it's her turn to come up, she is chosen to be queen. Now, again, this is not an accident. I'm telling you, even though the story seems a little crazy, uh, uh, when you actually step back and look at it, you can tell God's in all of this. Even in the midst of a heathen kingdom, God's in the midst of it. So then chapter 3, you have Haman, which you've heard in our passage. He's promoted. He becomes second in command. Um, the king uh, wants everyone to bow down to Haman. And Mordecai, which would be Esther's uncle, refuses. He re he's not going to bow down before him. Uh, and this makes Haman mad. And Haman gets this idea one time. He's going to offer 10,000 talents of silver to the king if he would just make an order that all the Jews could be killed on a certain day. Well, the king uh, agrees to this, lets him keep his money, and that law goes out, that decree goes out to all the provinces that on that certain day all the Jews would be killed. Chapter 4, uh, Mordecai convinces Esther that she needs to risk her life to go before the king yeah. and bring that matter yeah. before him. Because, uh, and she, she's hesitant because she says, hey, you know that in this kingdom, with this king, if you go before him uninvited and he doesn't want to, you're done. You're dead. Uh, and I have not been invited. So uh, she's hesitant, but Mordecai convinces her. Probably the most famous verse of the whole book is chapter 4 verse 14 the last part says who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this right uh, he's saying and we'll deal with it more later but he's saying hey this is why you're here yeah. is for this yeah. very moment that's chapter four chapter five uh esther uh, invites the king and haman to a banquet haman goes home he's excited about it he's saying hey i know i'm second in command but now i'm even better uh, uh even better position but he's still mad about more Mordecai and has a gallows that's 75 feet tall built on his property and he says I'm going to hang Mordecai on that that's chapter 5 chapter 6 the king has trouble sleeping uh, so he does like some of us do uh, and gets something boring to read and what he does is they go get the records uh, and they start reading these records to the king and they get to an, uh, uh, a story where Mordecai he was usually by the gate and he heard some of the uh, people there at the gate they were plotting to kill the king so these two were going to kill the king Mordecai overhears it he tells the king hey they're plotting to kill you so instead they die instead of the king dying and he hears that story as he's in his sleepless night uh, and he says hey was anything done for Mordecai did we do anything to honor him? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when they said no, uh, he calls in Haman. Haman happens to be around. And he asks Haman, what should we do for someone that really deserves honor? And, of course, Haman thinks it's himself. And he says, well, I'd get out the king's horse. I'd get out the rope. I'd get out the crown. Uh, put him on that horse. And you just and parade him around the city and say, this is what? This is how the king will bless somebody in his kingdom. And, and the king says, that's a great idea. Go get Mordecai and do it for him. Him, right? It backfired, right? That's chapter 6. Uh, uh, chapter 7, the one before where we're at, Esther prepares a second banquet for the king, and this time she reveals 
Haman is the one that is trying to kill all the Jews. And she says, and by the way, I'm a Jew too. She had, she had hidden that. She'd concealed it. And the king was angry about it. He tries to beg for his life, makes the king even more angry. And at the end of chapter 7, Haman ends up hanging on his own gallows for Mordecai. So Haman's gone, okay? Haman is gone. That's the end of the... You would think that the book of Esther just stops there, but it keeps going in chapter 8. In the passage we read, so let's go back to chapter 8, verse 5. And again, it's a big story, so we had to get what's leading up to it. Now, uh, so Esther's coming back before the king in verse 5. And said, if it pleased the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seemeth right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman. So what she is asking for, she's saying, hey, Haman is dead. Remember, he died in the previous chapter, but the king signed that decree in chapter 3 that all the Jews would be killed on this certain day uh, throughout the kingdom. Now you think about this. Uh, we don't have a king, but we have a, uh, we have a you know, Congress that occasionally will uh, pass a law together. Not very often, but sometimes they do. And, and if it's a bad law and they'll admit it, Sometimes they'll repeal it, right? They'll overturn it, they'll, they'll get rid of it, or sometimes they'll replace the law with something else. And there, most governments are like that, you know, whether it's state, whatever. You know, you put a law in place, you can change it. You can get rid of it, you know, whatever you need to do. Uh, and that's what Esther's saying. Hey, can you, what I need you to do, king, is reverse the decree that you already made in chapter 3. But here's the problem. This uh, empire was the Medes and the Persians, uh, and they were the ones ruling at this time. They're also the ones that were ruling in Daniel chapter 6. Remember what happened to Daniel? They were trying to get him out. And they said, we can't. His work is too good. He rules well. He does everything great. The only thing we can do is go after his God, right? His relationship with his God. So they go before King Darius and they tell King Darius, hey, why don't you make a decree for 30 days? Nobody can pray to a God or to man for anything. They have to come to you. And what happened? The decree came out. Daniel went home like he always did, opened up the curtains in the windows, prayed to the Lord at the same time, the same way he always did. And they heard it and they brought him before the king and said, King, remember you made this decree. And by the way, we're the Medes and the Persians. And every time in the Bible, when it mentions laws by the Medes and Persians, it says the same thing. That law can't be altered. It can't be changed. Right. So we see these examples uh, with Daniel and that King Darius was sad when that happened. He was sad because he didn't want to lose Daniel. But what happened? God took care of him in the lion's den. He was fine. He was OK. But this Medes and the Persians, their law couldn't couldn't be altered. And you stop and think about it. An unaltering law, that would be, a lot of ways, that's a good thing, right? Can you imagine if they changed the laws over and over again all the time? We'd have trouble keeping up with them, wouldn't we? If you really like that sort of thing, come into compliance with me and you can join me, right? And we try to, all the rules, they're constantly changing over and over again. But if, if laws are stable, that's a good thing. But here's the problem. With the Medes and the Persians... It's a, a man deciding a law and then later on regretting it, right? A man that can't see the future is, is trying to figure it out. And a lot of times they're making hasty decisions, not thinking about the consequence. Amen. We have a lot of politicians yeah. like that. But here's the thing. 
You realize our Lord has an unchanging law as well? He's got a, uh, uh, in the, throughout the Bible, Ezekiel 18, 4, Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father is also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's an unchanging law. A sinner's going to die. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It's over and over again throughout the Bible. Sin brings death. But then here's the question. If the Bible says in multiple places that a sinner, uh, if they die in their sins, they're going to hell. Well, can't God just reverse the letters? Right? Can't he just take those out? Can't he change it and say, oops, I made a mistake? No, no, he's not going to change his word. He's not going to change the law to take away the penalty of sin, which is death. And here's the thing. These earthly kings, remember, we said they made hasty decisions. Our Lord's not like that. He didn't hastily throw together the Old Testament and then use the New Testament to fix what he messed up. That's not our God. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. He's a God that knows the future. Amen. So when he wrote this word, every bit of it, he knew all of time would be into it and it would work and it would be holy and it would be perfect for all time. So then we learn something. It's a righteous thing for our God to have the death penalty for sinners. That's a righteous thing because he's a righteous God. Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Jesus himself said, Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So one of the things we see that's kind of a metaphor with this kingdom of the Medes and Persians is kind of an example of God's word. It's not going to change. But the best thing is, unlike the Medes and the Persians, it doesn't need to change. Yeah. It's good. It's perfect. It's holy. And it's unchanging. Amen. So then let's go back to our story. What's the king going to do if he can't reverse the letters? What's he going to do if he can't take away the decree? And this is the second part that we looked at. And I, I skipped a lot because it talked about how they were going to get the letters out with camels and everything else. I skipped it. So go down to verse 11. Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and cause to perish all the power of the people and, and province that they would assault them, both the little ones and women, and take the spoil of them for a prey. Uh, and then they say, verse 12 is the date, the same date is the decree in verse 3. Verse 13, the copy of the writing for a commandment is to be given in every province and was published unto all the people and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So here we've got the heathen king and uh, the, our children of Israel in captivity. This is a Gentile nation and empire. And you notice God doesn't tell them you need to revolt against the king. Right? The king signs this decree you need to revolt over him. No, that's not what he says. Because God's not going to forsake his people. God's not going to let them be destroyed. God's not. Do you realize the devil has been trying to destroy God's people since Abraham and all the way down? He's still trying to do it today. And one day he's going to send every army on this earth against Israel and try to destroy it one more time. But none of these times are going to work. 
You know what? God didn't tell the Jews to fix this problem themselves. You know what he did? God changed the heart of the king. That's what he did. Isn't that what our God does? Instead of making us take things over by violence, he says, you know what? What I can do to that one that's your enemy or that one that's making foolish decisions or that one that's causing you grief, I can change their heart. Amen. I can't change your heart. You can't change mine. But aren't you glad our God can change hearts? And that's what he did. And Mordecai was right. Remember when he told her in chapter 4, he said, Hey, you didn't become queen just to live in the palace and live in luxury and because you were the prettiest and everything else. You became queen to save us and be a small part in that. Remember for such a time as this. It's a reminder for all of us that we are not here by accident. God has put us in this point in time for a purpose. He has given us the friends that he's given us, the co-workers, the, those at school and everyone else, and the family that we have, this church, our neighborhood. He's done it for such a time as yeah. this. Why? Not so that we can just be friends with different people, so that we can tell them the truth about Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he can change their heart yeah. before it's too late. There's no accident we're here today. There's no accident that we're here together. We are here for a purpose. God has a plan for our life. He's got a calling for your life. He wants to save your soul. And then he wants to put you in a mission field for your generation and those people that are around you. And once you get to that point and realize it, the better your life will be. Because yeah. instead of fighting against God, you're in God's plan where he wants you to be. Amen. It's not easy, but I'm glad he's with us. Right? Aren't you? Esther wasn't chosen a queen because of the beauty pageant. She was chosen to be an instrument. So what are you doing for the Lord for such a time as this? Now that's not the message. That's just a free little commercial. But the king issued another decree. Did you notice that? He didn't get rid of the first decree. He issued another decree. And this one he said, hey, you're, gonna, you're allowed to defend yourself against whoever comes against you. And they would have done this anyway. But this is the king now telling everyone that, hey, they're going to defend themselves, right? Now, again, the king did not tell them, I want you to go on the offensive and, and fight everybody you can see and take the land and take the spoils and everything else. He didn't say that, right? He didn't say go start a war. But he said throughout the kingdom, if somebody attacks you, you can defend yourself. And here's the thing, if they attack you, you defend yourself and you win, you can take all the spoils. He told them that too. You can have everything. So they're uh, fighting the Jews. They would have been risking everything. So the first decree brought death. The second decree brings an opportunity for life, right? That first decree was satanic. He wanted to eliminate them altogether. And if you think about it, Haman, Haman it says the Agagite over and over again. Who is Agag? That's the people that Solomon was supposed to completely destroy, but let some of them live. Amen? Yeah. Spiritually, there are things in our life that need completely destroyed. Yeah. And when we let a little remnant stay along, it's going to cause problem later. It's no accident this is an Agagite causing all this trouble. Agag was supposed to be completely eliminated. That tells you what happened. See, God tells us things for a reason. Amen. He, ha he knows the future. He has our best interest. 
Second decree says Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. You know what that tells me? They had to make preparations. They had to be ready. They had to be in the right mindset. They had to be ready to fight. They had to work together. That first degree was never abolished. So here's the thing. You could have been a Jew at the time and only thought about the first decree and thought we're done. There's no hope. We're going to be destroyed, eliminated. That's it. Even though there was a second decree that had come out, you could ignore that. Right? And say, you know what? It's just hopeless. But there was a second decree that had hope to prepare and wait for victory. You know, I thought about these two decrees and these two laws. I already told you the first law, right? For the wages of sin is death. But you know, there's another decree. Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says this. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. Jesus came to this earth not to abolish the Old Testament, not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. He, he perfectly lived the law, which we could not, to die for our sins, uh, pay the penalty for sin, and die and raise from the dead three days later. But here's the thing. Even after Jesus did that, the wages of sin still is death. Amen. Yeah. It hasn't changed. Right? Jesus conquered death. He conquered the grave. He died for our sins. He, he, he took your place. But if you reject him, yeah. it's still death. Amen? The soul that sinneth shall still die. That's still true. Because Jesus himself said, I didn't destroy that. I didn't get rid of it. I fulfilled it. So that God's righteous judgment could be satisfied. And that means you don't have to die for your own sins. If you accept the one that's already died in your place. Well, I keep reading the first half of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the fulfillment, the second half. Remember, the book of Romans is written after Jesus rose from the dead. Right after he went back to heaven. After the church was established. It still says the wages of sin is death, so the law is not destroyed. But I'm glad the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a second decree, amen. There is a New Testament in Jesus Christ. There is a gospel that we get up and preach over and over again. And it doesn't eliminate our guilt for sin. It gives us a way out. Not to get rid of the death penalty, but to point to the one that's already paid it. But... You could be just like the Jews in the time of Esther and focus on the first decree and said, we're done. Or you could just ignore it altogether and say, I'm going to live my life how I want. I, I don't care what the king says. I don't care what people say. Right. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what my saved relatives say or anything else. I'm just going to live life how I want. Ignore it all. That doesn't change the decrees. That's right. Amen. That doesn't change the Bible. That doesn't change any of it. But here's the problem. 
That gift of life for the Jews was only for those that were ready. And you know how God said I would bring deliverance for them? He said, I'll bring deliverance if you're ready and if you trust me. Amen? Amen. Just like he did over and over again throughout the Bible. He says, I'm not going to get rid of your problems altogether. What I'm going to do is tell you, you trust me and I'll get you through your problems. Isn't that still the truth today? There are some things he does take away. Amen. But a lot of times what he wants you to do is to lean on him, not on your own understanding. Trust him. And then he takes care of us. Amen. He's made a way. But a lot of times that way is saying, hey, I want you to be prepared. I want you to pray. I want you to trust me. I want you to put on the whole armor of God and let's get ready for battle. And by the way, once you're ready, you got that sword ready. I'll do the fighting anyway. But you know what happens to a lot of us? We don't want to look at the second decree because it's work, right? It takes faith. We have to trust God. We would rather trust ourselves, trust what we already have, than trust God. But aren't you glad? He said, for those that are ready, we're going to get rid of the enemies. Because most of the people later on decide not to attack the Jews, but there were some that did. And they paid the price for that. And here's the problem Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead. We're preaching the message, the gospel message over and over again. We're testifying and everything else. But there are people that are ignoring it. They will listen to everything else. They'll listen to news media. They'll listen to uh, uh, government politicians. They'll listen to people that, I mean, just they have they don't have any of our interests in mind. I mean, you think about it, honestly, the people that control the news and control politics and everything else. If they came out here, they wouldn't even know how to live, right? Wait a second. I don't even have a license, right? I just take a taxi and the subway and everything else. How do you guys get around? Well, we drive, right? Oh, and those pollution things, right? Those things that are going to kill the earth and everything. They don't even know what it's like out here. Yet we're going to trust them and what's our best interest. You know who I'd rather trust? The Lord. Amen. Those politicians wouldn't come out here to say anything for us. But our God left all of heaven, came to this earth, but was born of a virgin, took on flesh, and lived in the, not in the palace, but lived in a poor family. Uh, and he, he felt hunger. He felt pain. He was betrayed. And he lived an innocent life. He fulfilled the scriptures. He did everything you and I couldn't do. Lived righteously. And then offered to die for our sins on the cross. Was buried and he rose on the third day. Amen. You want to talk about someone that cares for me? It's Jesus. He cares for us like nobody else has. And that's not all. He still cares for us today. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's up in heaven still watching over us. He's still preparing a place for us. And one day we're going to be with him forever. Never to be separated. Amen. That's the God we need to trust in. That's the decree. Amen. That's the gospel. It's crazy that God can use a wicked king with a goofy story and show us one more time 
how much he loves us. Amen. Amen. You don't see uh, God mentioned in the book of Esther, but you can see his fingerprint all over it. Amen. But what about you today? Like Esther, like Mordecai asking Esther, Esther, what are you doing right now for such a time as this? And then for the lost, before it's too late, you got to be prepared. Amen. That day is coming. The Jews knew when the day was. We don't know when the day is that we'll be leaving this earth. But you've got to be ready. Yes. So what about you today? And you're thinking, man, I've wasted too much time. Well, that may be true. But God will give you a fresh start today. Amen. Hey, don't waste another day. Come to him today. Serve him today. Trust him today. I'm going to ask everyone to stand.